You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Well, good morning, and thank you once again for joining us for our Easter Sunday service. I'm not going to lie, it's it's disappointing and saddening that we aren't able to celebrate this incredibly important and foundational moment in history together as the body of Christ. But at the same time, I guess we can say that it's also fitting that we're celebrating Easter during this pandemic because there's also no better moment in history that reminds us that in the midst of tragedy and even death, we have this sure and living hope. 1 Peter 1, 3-7 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So as Christians, we, we stand on the hope of an empty tomb. We rejoice and place our confidence of salvation in the fact that Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, has risen from the grave and has therefore conquered the power of sin and death at the cross in order to raise us up with him into resurrection life. This is our living hope. Romans 5.5 says, This hope will not disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And we need this. We need a hope that's alive, a hope that will not disappoint, a sure hope we can trust in and lean into and look forward to. Again, especially during this pandemic as as we're forced to come face to face with the realities of this broken and sinful world that as Westerners, we've, we've largely been able to symptomatically control or just put out of our mind. Yet now in the midst of this crisis, We're basically forced to to come face to face with the inevitability of death and our own immortality, forced to cope with isolation, loneliness, disease, identity, and our own lack of control over our lives. And so we need this hope. We need hope of renewal. Because for many of us, trying to come to terms with what's happening all around us is actually heartbreaking and existentially hopeless. And again, this is all just highlighting an even greater reality, which is that without Christ, we're all dead in our sin. So speaking from his own experience of betraying Jesus and yet finding forgiveness and new life through the power of Christ's resurrection, the the Apostle Peter writes that even though we may be grieved by, by various trials in this life, this hope we have is still alive. In fact, through trials and suffering, our faith and hope can actually grow. And this is the reality of resurrection, after all, that what seems dead is brought to life, that what seems broken is renewed. 
that what seems hopeless becomes victorious. Pastor and author Paul David Tripp writes it like this. He says, The resurrection tells you that God will win. His truth will reign. His plan will be accomplished. Sin will be defeated. Righteousness will overcome evil. So Easter reminds us that we have a living hope given through, given to us in Christ, which cries out in our hearts with, with joyful assurance by the power of the Holy Spirit. He has risen. Or as Marshall Siegel writes, this hope is as alive as Jesus is right now. A living hope, a hope that brings us from death to life. The Apostle Paul, who himself was radically changed by the resurrected Christ, he says it like this, 1 Corinthians 15, 20-23. He writes, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So in, in Mosaic law, which is found in the Old Testament, God's people were commanded to give the first fruits of, of, of their crops as an offering to God. And this would happen during the Passover. And the reason these first fruits were, were to be given it was mainly to be a sacrificial dedication of thanksgiving to God for his provision. And at the same time, it was, it was also meant to be an act of faith and trust in God for a healthy and fruitful harvest to follow. So this is what Paul's referring to here in the passage. He's saying that Christ's resurrection is the fulfillment of this first fruit offering. Because just as he was given up to die on the cross during the Passover feast as our sacrificial lamb, he was also resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit on the third day, which is the day of the Feast of First Fruits, the same day God's people were to give that first fruit of their crops. As a commentary on the subject states, Paul tells us explicitly that Christ is the first fruits of those who will be raised from the dead. Just as the first fruits offered to God under the old covenant anticipated the fuller harvest to come, the resurrection of Jesus anticipates the bodily resurrection of his people first promised under the old covenant. In other words, Christ's resurrection was the first fruit offering of a greater harvest to come. A harvest of all the citizens of God's kingdom from death into eternal life. And this means we can hope and live in, in light of the day when Jesus returns in victory to reap that harvest, which we are a part of, and when, when he makes all things new, to the day when there'll be no more weeping, no more pain, no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more death, just life, eternal life in the presence of God. 1 Corinthians 15, 51-58 says it like this. It says, listen. I am telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. 
When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So again, we should long for that victorious day. In Romans, it says that, that all of creation even longs and groans with us for the day when Jesus returns to raise the dead to life and make all things new. That this future hope is what saves us and that this glory which awaits us even makes our current suffering and, and, and trials pale in comparison. But yet, as we find ourselves again on the subject of suffering... Let's be honest, it's not always easy to remember this hope that we have while we're in the midst of it. And we're not alone in feeling that way. In fact, a couple of weeks before Jesus would, would be hung on the cross for our sins, these feelings of hopelessness and sorrow were also felt deeply by a couple of sisters named Martha and Mary. These two sisters knew Jesus well which is why they'd recently sent an urgent message to him that their brother, Lazarus, had fallen ill. He'd contracted some sort of deadly disease, and so they, they desperately needed Jesus to come and heal him, as they'd seen him do for many others. But sadly for them, four days before Jesus even arrived in their hometown of Bethany, Lazarus had already succumbed to his illness and died. They'd placed his body in a tomb and had already started mourning his death, all the while wondering in their despair why Jesus had failed them. And so when Jesus does finally arrive, both of the sisters at separate times run out to him and say to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And I think we can all relate to them here. Again, especially during this pandemic, we're, we're often looking for answers. We're wondering where Jesus is. How can we still have hope in the midst of, this, uh, of our sorrow? And so I think we can and should learn from the way Jesus responds to the two sisters in this story. In fact, he responds to each of them based on where their hearts are at and what they need to hear. And so let's take a closer look at his responses to them. First of all, after Martha comes up to him, this is how he responds. John eleven twenty three to 27. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. So Jesus uses this opportunity to not only assure her that her brother will live, but also, and more importantly, to remind her of who he is, that he's the resurrection and the life. 
First of all, as, as we've discussed, that because Jesus is the resurrection, this means even in death we're not defeated or without hope. That those who believe in him will, will live eternally even when they die. As it says in Thessalonians as well, we are not like those who grieve for the dead without hope. But I think Jesus is also telling Martha what we need to remember as well. To not forget who Jesus is in the midst of her sorrow. To not forget that through the power of his resurrection, he's also our life. As it says in John 17, 3, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life, to know the living Christ. I really feel like Jesus was reminding Martha in that moment that life isn't found simply in avoiding death, but ultimately it's found in knowing and, in, and trusting in him as our, as our Savior, the one who brings our mortal bodies into immortality. And that in doing so, we can experience his grace and, and, and a part of this newness of life even now. That we can live in light of his victory over the grave. Philippians 1, 20-21, the Apostle Paul writes, My confident hope is that I will in no way be ashamed, but that with complete boldness, even now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether I live or die. For to me, living is Christ, and dying is gain. So Christ's resurrection life gives us a confident hope, not just in the afterlife, but in the way we live for him now. As the old hymn proclaims, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. So we can press on with boldness and, and rejoicing, without shame and, and with nothing to fear because in the power of his resurrection, nothing can separate us from his life. Not trials, sufferings, persecutions, sorrows, or even death. So as we go through times of sorrow or temptations, as our faith is tested and, and refined by trials, let's not forget who Jesus is. Let's not forget the redemption and living hope we have in the living Christ even now. That he doesn't just give resurrection life, but that he is the resurrection and the life. He's our living hope. But then with Mary, the, the younger sister who, who comes to Jesus in tears after his conversation with Martha, we get to see another side of Jesus. John eleven thirty three to 35 this is how he responds to her. It says, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Then Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the Bible, and yet so profound, Jesus wept. Here we see Jesus weeping out of a compassion for Mary and for the Jews that were with her. We see him weeping over the effects of sin on this world and throughout humanity, weeping at the despair and evil of sickness and loss and death. What we learn from his response to Mary is that Jesus also weeps with us in our despair. 
As it says in Isaiah, he's acquainted with our grief and our sorrows. Which means that even now, as we're struggling through this pandemic or, or our sin or whatever else we're going through, Jesus, who, who is now seated at the right hand of God, he mourns with us and he empathizes with us in our weakness. He cares for us. His spirit comforts us. But at the same time, he, he doesn't weep like one who is powerless to, to do anything about it. His compassion draws him into saving action. In, in fact, following his encounters with Martha and Mary, Jesus, who's, who's deeply moved again, instructs Martha to open the grave and he calls Lazarus to come out. And he does. Through the authority of Jesus, Lazarus is brought from death back to life. And while this moment is, is certainly miraculous and caused many to believe that he was the Son of God, ultimately this event was a sign pointing us to what Jesus was going to fully accomplish for us through his own death and resurrection. But again, it also shows us that he's more than just a, a savior from sin and death, but that he's a savior who cares deeply for us in our plight and in our trials. And that's a savior that we can hope in that cares for us so deeply in fact that he willingly humbled himself and tasted death for us at the cross as our perfect and sinless sacrifice so that in the power of his own resurrection all who believe in him can can experience not only life after the grave like Lazarus but even better forgiveness of sins and eternal life in the presence of God both now and into eternity born again into a living hope which is why we're called in 1 Peter 5 to humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may, may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And then as a greater assurance for this hope of restoration and resurrection, and as Jesus promised, he's now poured his spirit out on all those who believe so that he can dwell within us and empower us to, to persevere and go forth in his name with authority and faith and live in that hope until he comes again. It's in the light of this truth that the Apostle Peter declared in his first sermon on the day of Pentecost from Acts 2, 32. This Jesus God raised up, and all of that we are witnesses. And of that, sorry, this Jesus God's God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And Peter said to them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone from whom the Lord our God calls to himself. This promise is for you. 
a promise of salvation and resurrection life sealed by the Spirit of God, which declares that our hope in Christ is not in vain. Our suffering for Christ is not in vain. Laying down our lives for the glory of Jesus Christ is not in vain. It's everything. It's true life. It's abundant life. It's spirit-filled life. It's resurrection life. We live because he lives. And so as we turn our hearts in faith to Jesus, our risen Lord, let's, let's give thanks and rejoice in this hope by taking hold of not only the salvation and life he's given us, but of him. And in the same way as we look to our future hope of the harvest, of Jesus' victorious return and our eternal life in the kingdom of God, let that hope also compel us in the way we live and persevere through our lives today. 